my video is on. I'm just really still. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he sleeps with his eyes open. <laughs> Welcome once again to Free Associations from the Boston University School of Public Health. And this week, this is not the Public Health and Medical Journal Club podcast because we are taking a break from our regularly scheduled program to do a special episode in which we are going to talk about some of our experiences and reactions to the coronavirus and our newly found lives of all working from home and dealing with this. So I'm Matt Fox from the Boston University School of Public Health, and we are not in the Godly studio. We are all at home, so you might notice that the sound quality is a bit different this time because we're doing this over Zoom. But we have a whole gang of people here this time, so it is, uh, we've gotten the band back together. So uh, we, we have <laughs> Don and Chris with us. Yay! Hello, guys. Both from the departments of, of global health. Uh, Jen is here with us. Hello. Jen from the Department of Epidemiology. And we will have be having a guest host with us um, in some of our episodes coming up, but we wanted to bring her in here. That is Laura Sampson. Hi. Excited to be here. Laura is a uh I'm gonna say doctoral student in the Department of Epidemiology, but she's about to be a former doctoral student. We were, we, the plan was originally for you to be our first ever doctoral student uh, guest host, but I think by the time we actually record this, that that the next episode, it might not be the case. Yeah, so I am defending my dissertation two weeks from tomorrow, so hopefully, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting to, uh, I have to defend it over Zoom, so this is good practice for me being on Zoom, uh, but I'm really excited. I'm, I'm defending in two weeks and my dissertation focuses on mental health of um, military service people. And in general, I, I study mental health. We're looking forward to it. And uh, so we are all gathered together. We're all in our homes. We're gathered here by Zoom. So I've got the, uh, the Zoom screen in front of me in which I can see each of you. It looks like the I'm looking at the opening scene to the Brady Bunch here with each of the... <laughs> Each of you in your windows, but we wanted to. We wanted to. Uh, we thought that it probably didn't make too much sense uh, to go with our usual approach because we wanted to. We want to talk a little bit about uh, how we're all dealing with the recent changes with the coronavirus, and we have no. Uh, we have no desire to get into the the studies, the recent studies that have come out around coronavirus because it's just too early, and there's too much coming out fast and furious. Um, so don't look for us to be necessarily reviewing coronavirus studies anytime soon, but we did want to just get everyone's reaction to how they're doing and what their experiences have been like now that the world seems to be quite a bit different from what it was when we did our last recording. So Chris, I'll, I'll, I'll start with you because I know you've had some, uh, some experiences that have, have um, kind of changed the way you've been going about things recently. So what's your, what's your experience been like dealing with uh, all the changes? Well. Um, I think we're probably pretty typical uh, of, you know, the rest of American society. We're hunkering down. The kids are home. Um, I have two daughters who are both first years at Boston University. And as you may know, the university had initially encouraged them 
just to um, stay home if they could, but they didn't actually close the dorms, they didn't close the cafeterias. So both daughters were actually on campus all the last week. And, and now, of course, Robert, you know, Bob Brown has closed the campus definitively, and so they're all coming home this weekend, and they're, you know, they're very disappointed and very, very sad. And my other two uh, younger kids are both home from, from school. One of them goes to boarding school, so he's, he's home with us. And everybody's pretty much stir-crazy here. Um, and I have myself been uh, feeling frustrated and anxious and impotent and just kind of irritated about the world and reading everything and at times just like refusing to read anything because I can't, I feel like it's too much and I can't, I can't handle it. But like more generally sort of feeling this sort of huge sense of frustration that I want to be doing something more than I am doing um, and really struggling to figure out like what, what can one do to be uh, useful. So what I ended up doing, uh, and, and one could argue how useful it is, I don't know, was to start kind of like a group chat um, email with everyone in my my family and extended family, and also a number of my friends. And so um, I think, Don, I actually invited you to that. I, you probably haven't read any of those emails because they probably come across as spam, and you know it all anyway. But it, it, it felt to me like this was something I could do. And after I started this, a lot of the relatives started sending me stuff that people had sent them from Facebook, for example, saying, I got this, what do you think? And, um, and you know, often these things are long lists of of claims made by various people that have been sort of like filtered together and they and some of them are right and some of them are wrong some of them are kind of right or technically wrong but generally right and some of them are just like absolutely crazy like you know way off the range stuff and um and i have now made it my habit that every day or every other day i'm going through these lists and i'm just going through them line by line and saying yes no possibly sort of, and, and trying to explain the science, while at the same time giving sort of terse summaries of all the papers that I have read that scared me or gave me hope, or just are interesting, and just sort of like trying to explain and translate all of this stuff to my relatives. Now, I, I worried that the relatives would uh, find this, you know, unhelpful because they're, you know, they're pretty educated, and they read newspapers, and they, you know, probably read like real books unlike me i just read you know science fiction adventure novels and so i'm sort of like lowbrow in their view um but it was really interesting how well this was received and i've had so many like letters coming back saying thank you for doing this like we really appreciate your trying to provide some clarity um and even the people who had like sent kind of like crazy laundry lists of you know rumors and occasional facts some of them are written to me and saying, thank you for correcting me. I'm going to take that down on, or correct that on Facebook. And, and so in, in the end, it actually has felt like that maybe this is, this is a good thing to do. And so when I was teaching my class uh, in Foundations of Global Health uh, last night, um, a class that began what seems like eons ago uh, back in January, and the first class I talked about the coronavirus. And I said, in my professional opinion, I think this is going to be really bad. And one of the students reminded me that I had said this yesterday on the lecture and said, Dr. Gill, I'm quoting you, but you said in lecture one, I think this is going to be really bad. And you were right. 
And, and we spent the entire two and a half hours talking about this because the coronavirus outbreak has really become a perfect living case study for global health. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, here mm-hmm. it is. You could not imagine a more applicable opportunity to learn about what it is that our job is than the coronavirus outbreak and sort of like every aspect that you can imagine. It all comes together. Um, and it is it is terrifying to see all of this. Um, and so we, we spent the entire um, two and a half hours talking just about coronavirus. Uh, and and at the end of that, I said, look, you know, the, this is this is really bad. We're in a crisis. The world is in a crisis. Things are bad. They're about to get worse. Um, and and I and I said, look, you students are in a um, a transition mode, right? You're between being purely students like you were when you're undergraduates and becoming independent professionals. And I think at this point, we need to accelerate your graduation, not literally, but basically to say, we need you to step up at this point and, and become mm-hmm. healthcare professionals and be part of this. We, we cannot afford to wait for you to actually graduate to become useful. You need to get involved in this too. And maybe what you can do is what I'm doing, which is to try to reach out to your families and friends and networks and explain to them because they will trust you and they will cure you and they will... And you will be able to explain to them because you know them and you're a voice of reason. And compared to most of the world, you guys are, are now experts. And this is the time to, to actually get out there and do this. This, this, is not, this is no longer theoretical. We need you to be part of the solution. Mm. Um, and I really think that's true. Yeah, I, 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 I feel like we are in a period of before and after that, that everything has kind of changed. And, you know, try, I remembering back to even a week ago when we were at work and and everything was kind of, you know, dripping along and normal. It just feels like forever ago. Don, what's, what have things been like for you and and what's your reaction to to what Chris is saying? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've had um, somewhat of a similar um, experience as similar experience as Chris um, uh, because there's a class for, um, for the MSC, it's a clinical trials class that I that I talk about one of our studies, Matt, and mm-hmm. every year <clears throat> it's a pneumonia study, and so they they critique a paper that we wrote, and um, it was amazing the number of times the conversation kept coming around to corona coronavirus, and um, uh, it, there was just this thirst for information, this thirst for knowledge, mm-hmm. and um, we kept we kept talking about it all through the class. It was a three hour class, and we actually kind of did what you did, Chris, and stopped it early, kind of got to the end of what, what we were going to talk about. And then because everybody was in their home, we basically just talked for another hour and just extended the class because nobody had to go anywhere. There's nothing for them to do. And I also have a group of, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think the day that things got really heavy was you know the day before the day of when when Trump appeared to be a little bit more serious during mm-hmm. one of his one of his press conferences. Um, I was contacted I was contacted about fifteen times by people who I had not talked to in twenty years. Mm-hmm. Wow. knew you know knew who I was and what I was doing, what my expertise was, and they were just thirsting for information. And and a lot of it was like like what you described, Chris. It it, it, it was amazing. The thirst for information and the thirst for correct information, because they clearly are not getting it from, or don't know where to go to get it from, you know, the the usual sources. And I see that as part due to our utter dependence on social media mm. and the confusing messages that are being broadcast out. 
And uh, that's and I've I've also stepped up and and tried to provide you know do as much reading as I can try to dissect out what's real what's true is chloroquine really going to help is you know are some of these new medications really going to help and tried to take that information and and uh, provide it to people so that they have um, some tether to hope. Yeah. And I, I think yeah. it's I think people really thirst for that. People are really, really despondent at this point. And it's not only am I at risk or is my family at risk, but my livelihood's at risk. The entire economy is at risk. You know, I spent time saving money and I'm watching it just disintegrate. And sometimes it's really hard to be optimistic because I don't think I have ever, and you know, I'm the oldest one here. Uh, and I went through the 60s and I went through HIV, the HIV epidemic and I've gone through, you know, all of the medical and non-medical crises. I don't know that I have ever seen or felt this scared and this kind of despondent about what's going on. But that changes day to day. Um, and of late, I'm a little bit more hopeful because some of the things that I'm reading and some of the things that are being done. Um, the other thing that I feel personally is Chris and I are infectious disease physicians. We're both licensed in the state of Massachusetts, but neither of us have practiced for some time. And um, I understand that Boston Medical Center is preparing for a deluge and they're preparing to call in and um, either retired physicians or, or um, others that um, have now practiced in a while and that they're asking for names. And I gave them my name, but I'm, I'm kind of scared. Yeah. I'm kind of reluctant about it, you know, in part because I'm rusty um, and in part because that's the front line, but that's kind of where I should be, mm-hmm. even though I'm in one of the high risk groups. Mm-hmm. So it's I feel uh, the same, Don. I feel exactly the same. When my, my mom uh, wrote to me yesterday and said, you know, that the governor, somebody, I think it was the governor had said that they're waiving the reaccreditation requirements for, right. um, you know, mothballed docs like us. <laughs> that's right. And what did I, th- what did I think about that? And I said, that's, that's great because, um, you know, if it gets to the point where they need to unmothball, you know, us guys who've been out of it for a decade, you know, it's a sign that things are really bad. And, um, and actually we, we, we can pick it up fast. We know what to do. We know the basics because it is just the basics. It's not, medicine hasn't changed fundamentally, uh, all that much, even if the world has. So I don't know, it would give me a sense that we were, you know, we were really doing our part, you know? And I think it's really important that we all have something that we can do that, that is substantial and helpful. And, you know, I mean, I, I feel like on the one hand, this whole episode has, has showed some of the best sides of humanity and has maybe really sort of like proud of America at times. And then the other and it showed like some of the worst parts of humanity, like, you know, there's a, you know, the CDC put out an alert a, a couple of days ago because some scoundrels had put up a, a fake domain mimic for the Johns Hopkins epidemic website, which is just littered with Trojans and viruses and is a, a phishing right. And I'm just thinking, wow, there's, there's a special place in hell for, for people yeah. like that. You know, who yeah. are just like trying to take advantage of of this moment to make a profit. Yep, yep. Jen, what? Tell tell us about your experiences. Are they similar? Yeah, very similar. I can um, relate to many of the things that um, that 
Chris and, and Don said. Um, I think in terms of, you know, professionally, I also am teaching this semester. Um, one of the classes is cancer epi, and yesterday was supposed to be our HPV and cancer lecture, which is one of my personal favorites. But it just, it seemed, um, I don't know, almost inappropriate to mm-hmm. to focus on that. And instead, we yeah. had a clinician at BMC um, come and talk to the class uh, via Zoom um, about coronavirus. And um, in the lecture, I mean, she was really encouraging the students to become advocates. And, and like you said, Chris, that, you know, they're now more educated on this than, than much of the country and that they have a responsibility to go and share this information with their larger networks. Um, and I know, you know, that, that has been one of my frustrations is, um, you know, I have a, a close family member who lives in Florida and spring break has been going on down there pretty much uninterrupted. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think like you've said, it, it is rapidly changing every day. And when I think about how I was feeling a week ago, I mean, it's unbelievable how much things have changed. I was personally just in a very, very different space last weekend. And so, um, a a dark space or uh, no, I think, I think, uh, a less, a less dark space. Uh Um, I I think I was, I don't want to say that I wasn't taking this all seriously, but, um, but, at the same time, I, I really, I think I, I was underestimating how much it was going to impact our lives and, and for how long that really had not, um, completely dawned on me yet. And I, and I think maybe there are other places of the country where it's going to take a little bit longer for people to get there. And at this point, um, that, that delay is really concerning. Jen, I had a very similar experience in that a week ago, sort of knew something, you you knew it was coming and you knew it wasn't going to be good, but it was sort of, you know, you sort of had a sense for, you know, we all have to do our part and we're all in this together and, and this is what it's all about. And we're, we're, we're capable of doing this. And now it's sort of like, okay, well, what's the end game here? Where are we, where are we going with this? Because, you know, at some point, uh, we've got to make a, a decision that you know, we can't, we can't live like this forever. Yeah. I, yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, with, um, you know, I have extended, my husband's family is, is in France and they're, they're currently on, um, actual lockdown, um, police and military apparently in the streets and to be mm-hmm. out, you have to have a very good reason. Um, my husband's mother, you know, lives alone, kind of in a in a rural area, um, and there are, you know, there are just a lot of downstream <laughs> problems that that clearly haven't worked out yet. Um, I have friend, a f- close friend who whose father is in um, a, a nursing home now. No family members can visit again for very very good reason, but. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine that going on indefinitely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Laura, you're, you're in a slightly different position in that you're of us, the only one who's probably not, um, not in a faculty position, but you are dealing with students, uh, and you're obviously dealing with the interruptions to your own, 
personal time as a, as a doctoral student. Can you tell us what that's been like? Yeah, definitely. So it's been, it's been a really strange couple of weeks. I mean, I echo what Jen said about feeling like I'm in a sort of a different headspace this week than I was last week. I feel like I have a little bit of whiplash every day is different, but you know, I do feel fortunate personally in that I have you know, the resources to work from home. I have the flexibility that I know a lot of people don't have. Uh, and so, you know, of course, personally, it's affecting me in, in, in some ways. I mean, as I said, my dissertation defense is going to be done mostly remotely now, which was really disappointing at first. Um, but Mm -hmm. you know, now the more I see how the entire world is, is just changing and being affected by this, I I can't help but feel I'm, I'm just one of the more course, one of the more fortunate people. And what I'm really worried about is, uh, sort of the long-term effects of this. And I think, you know, as someone who studies mental health, I don't feel like I have as much to offer in terms of my, uh, my knowledge of the epidemic right now, but I think down the line is maybe where I'll be able to help in terms of hopefully doing some research on how this whole epidemic has affected people and how social social isolation might affect people. Um, and, you know, just there are so many different downstream effects, as Jen said, that I think could come of this. And I think it'll be really interesting to, to follow over time. And I think it'll be really sad and it's, yeah, it's scary. I've never, I don't think I've ever definitely haven't lived through something like this in my lifetime. So yeah, it's it really weird. None of us have, right? There's, there's, as Don, you were yeah. saying, there's, there's just not, I mean, even, you know, post 9 11, you know, that eventually, you know, sort of, I, I don't want to say it went away, but, but we got more comfortable with how to live. Um, but, you know, this is, this is really different. And some, there are going to be some hard decisions that have to be made that are going to affect the way that we all interact with each other. And I don't, I don't know you know, what you guys, whether any of you guys had any experience with people who are quite anxious about this, but it's, it's certainly on my mind. You know, I have, uh, we have a colleague, uh, Paul Bolton, who, uh, who uh, is also doing mental health research. And it was interesting um, talking with him because his concern is that, that the, um, the, the government is, 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 is wrong to not give a very finite end to the disruptions that are imposed upon us in our life, because to have that be open-ended doesn't give people a a, a sort of a a place to focus their attention. And because they can't focus their attention on a possible conclusion date, even though we all know that that date is probably going to have to shift and, and we don't really know where it is, but that adds to the sense of malaise and the sense of of helplessness in terms of being able to even plan your life. And he's worried that that's going to have some mental health knock-on effects because of that. And maybe we ought to, we ought to say, all right, we're going to be locked up for two weeks and then we're going to reassess. But in that time, we have to um, have, take the opportunity to make concrete plans for what is next because it's really going to have um, an important mm-hmm. effect, I think, on people's psyche. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a good point. I, I agree with you. I mean, I think not knowing is a huge part of the of the challenge, and and you know, so many so many things that are you know people's lives that are being canceled, and you know, sporting events. Um, obviously, they, these are not 
things that are are things we can't live without, but they are milestones in people's lives that are being missed and birthdays and you know, people just being able to interact with their friends and, and relatives. And it's, you know, it's just, it's hard. I don't know. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing that, that, that I read that, um, really, really, really struck me hard, sorry, um, was, was that now when, um, older family members get sick and they get to the ICU and they get intubated and they are really in their last stretches, they can't be visited by their family. Right. You know, so that, that conclusion to a life for family members in the grieving process is completely um, different. And that's got to be incredibly painful on top of enormous pain. Right. Yeah. I can't even imagine that. Um, And I think, you know, something that Matt just said, which uh, made me think about missing out on these social interactions that, you know, of course we can live without sporting events and things like that. But I think also, those types of social interactions and group interactions have such a buffering effect for our mental health in, in these kinds of moments of trauma. I mean, something that Mm -hmm. my research group has found over and over is that social support is so important, uh, in terms of a person's mental health. And right now that's really threatened. I mean, luckily we do have the technology to, to talk with people over the phone and have video chats, but you know, it's not, it's not the same, obviously. And I think that's going to be important to think about. Yeah. And I do think there's a, you know, there's a inequity here because I think that, 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 you know, we have access to this technology. Not everybody does, certainly not all over the world. And I think some people are going to be more isolated than others. I, you know, I just go back to what you said, Don, I think that the, the uncertainty around how long it's going to last seems to me the, the, the number one thing that people are asking me about. And, you know, I can, I can, I'm not a I'm not a doctor, but I can give basic public health advice about you know why we should stay indoors and and why we should be flattening the curve and all that kind of stuff. I cannot give any kind of timeline mm-hmm. on what kind or, or any kind of sense for what comes next. Chris, did you have a? No, no, I was because I I've had the same question asked of me so many times, and 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 lately I've just been pointing to the Ferguson paper because at least they give a number on their curve where you know based there there you know there's a smart bunch of guys at the. Um, Imperial College London um, modelers, and they're saying, you know, July, August, we should see be seeing the, the tail end of the first wave. And that, but that's of course where you bite your tongue and you go of the first wave. Yep. And, um, and you're like, so this is not over. And and it, it it occurred to me that like not only are we we are not talking about two weeks of a lockdown. That is that is that was wrong. The first time it was said, and it is it is completely wrong. And I think most people are realizing it's not going to be two weeks, it's not going to be two months, it's going to be several months, and then it may happen again. Uh, and and so there's a very real possibility that that our current crop of MPH students are going to finish their entire degree online. Yeah, mm-hmm. that the classes at BU may not resu- resume for a very long time. Uh, in fact, um, you know, we just basically we are in for a long, long, long ride. And, and I guess what part of what I was trying to get the students to to translate was the, the, the extreme gravity of the situation, because it, I was certainly guilty of this, but with the, you know, the initial sequestration and everybody going home, there was sort of like a nervous, sort of like almost excited giddiness about it, because it was kind of like an adventure. And you're like, oh, wow, we're all sequestering. But, but you know, 
pretty soon the reality and the weight of all of this starts to settle upon you and you realize like this is you know this is not the response to the outbreak and then things will be back to normal this is the beginning of the outbreak yeah. right you know this is where the law of exponents really comes to to haunt us and for people like me who who were uh functional at math but never like insightful at math in high school and college you kind of like plotted through it like a you know i felt like a chimpanzee who could be taught to bang on a on a brick with a hammer um you know suddenly i'm i'm going back and thinking about logarithms and what does this really mean because the virus lives on an exponential scale in a world that thinks in arithmetic terms and this is why we are sort of caught so flat-footed by this um, you know, when someone says, oh, you know, a week ago, the case or three days ago, the case was, you know, we're only 16 and now it's 32. What's the big deal? And you're like, yeah, but the math, the math is really bad, you know, because if you start with two cases and then it doubles every, you know, four to five days, um, you know, after 40 days, you've gone from two to 512 cases and in the population of 320 million you're like you're still like yeah whatever you know who cares 520 million it's nothing but it's the math because then if you're starting at 1024 at the next doubling and you go another 10 cycles which is what we're doing you're at a million so we've gone in 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 80 days we've gone from two to a million and that is the math and that is what people have not understood is that you know suddenly the numbers start to to go on a, to increase on a scale and at a pace that we can't wrap our heads around because we don't live on an exponential scale, but the virus does. John? Yeah, to, to, to maybe turn this around a little. <laughs> Thank you, Don. <laughs> this is getting. We, we always a, looked at Don for the positivity. A little more. <laughs> right here, guys. Um, what is today? Today's March 19th. And um, I, I think there are, maybe I'm Pollyanna. But I think there are some encouraging things to hang our hat of hope on. Good. And, and I think that we need to focus on that. And I think amongst, the, amongst them are the lifting of the regulations, the grease in the wheels to be able to do discovery in terms of what is going to actually um, slow down that exponential growth that Chris was just talking about. And it could be that the, the 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 very small trial in France of chloroquine, which showed that the that the duration of viral shedding going from twenty to to six days, if that's real, that could be enormously important. And mm-hmm. I think that that could really help with um, some of the some of the dynamics of interrupting the chain of transmission. And you know, there's a, a couple of other drugs that have been done in in Japan that show promise. You know, I think that going back to harvesting serum from people who are immune and using that for the frontline workers, I think South Korea has shown that they can do it. You know, um, for some reason, Germany has as many cases as Italy does, but they have a fraction of the deaths yeah. that have occurred in Italy and, and the raid in the United States. So I, I, I look constantly for, for things to, to be hopeful about. And I think that we're beginning to see them. I'm with you, Don. I, I'm, I'm constantly looking for them well. And I, I think 
you somebody mentioned it earlier that 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 there have been i mean it was you chris actually said some some hopeful things about you know this has also brought out some really good in in humanity and i don't know jen what have your experiences been on the positive side yeah i mean i'm i'm trying to find um you know as as many silver linings as i can in terms of you know, spending time with my family, you know, I took a midday run, weekday run with my daughter yesterday, which um, was really, really nice. We found ourselves waving to a lot more people. I normally, you Mm -hmm. know, kind of, you know, turn my nose up at the the runner waivers. But yesterday I was really, (laughs) I was waving at everyone. Um, You are a true Bostonian (laughs) if you turn up your nose (laughs) and people who want to say hi. yeah. So, uh, but it's yeah. So there are some some things like that where where I'm I'm trying to. Um, I think it's it's given me a little bit of time. Although I think one of the frustrations is that even though I'm at home and you would think I have so much more time, I don't feel like I have any more time. Um, I'm spending. I think I'm averaging six hours a day on on Zoom, which is a lot. Uh, but I am, it hasn't given me a, a bit of space to, um, you know, to reevaluate some goals and um, reprioritize. And that's what I'm trying to do to stay sane. I appreciate that because I think we do have to focus on that. Laura, what about you? Are you seeing any, any signs of, of positivity? Yeah, sure. Definitely. I mean, I agree with what's been said so far and in terms of this lending us a little bit of perspective in certain cases. And I've noticed a lot of people showing up to help each other. I keep seeing, you know, like email threads and things that are like, uh, going around to, you know, help house students who were told to leave dorms, who don't have a place to go and, um, many different places to donate, you know, support small businesses that have to close a lot of different things people are doing, um, to help others out which is great. And, um, you know, something I, I found out today is that a lot of museums are, are doing like virtual tours online. And like, I watched a live feed, um, streaming of some penguins at the Chicago aquarium. (laughs) I saw that. It was so great. (laughs) Yeah. So I think people are really, um, you know, showing up in, in certain ways. I mean, obviously this is a terrible, um, time to be going through, but I think there are definitely some positives and people are understanding too, that it's, uh, the people who are already disenfranchised and low income are the ones who are going to suffer the most. And I think people are, are sort of understanding that. And, and maybe Mm -hmm. next time around, you know, hopefully we can have some more investment in public health to begin with so that we're not, you know, we don't have as many people who are affected on that, on that end, but we'll see. I hear you. Well said, Laura. I'm hopeful that we do some some you know with learning lessons from all of this and and you know being much more prepared. I mean, my hope is this is a once in a hundred year event and we're not going to experience this again. But you know the way the world is going, you never know. And I you know not learning the lessons from this seems to me it would be a terrible terrible thing. Um, I also have to say I have seen you know a lot through social media of people coming together. I certainly have watched way more cat and puppy videos than I am normally used to watching because it just makes me happy. But seeing people supporting each other is is really wonderful, uh, and I hope that that will continue because, as you know, as Chris says, we're we're in the early days of this, and and we've got 
space uh, still ahead of us that we've got to fill in. So other, other thoughts that anyone wants to, wants to make? One other thought. Um, I, I, I mentioned having, having uh, lived through a bunch of crises in my long life. Um, and I, I find that, that some of the sense of dread is very similar to the HIV epidemic. And I was a new intern on the wards in New York City in 1981, as soon as that report came out. And we had several years in much slower motion, but we had several years of things getting really bad and a real sense of helplessness because we had nothing in our toolkit to really be able to um, thwart that epidemic. And there was a sense of kind of global extension inevitability because essentially it was sexually transmitted and you can't ask the world to stop having sex. Right. So it was almost as if it was like breathing. And, you know, that kind of chain of transmission and that kind of interaction was made us feel very, very bleak. And now at this point in my career, looking back and seeing what we have been able to accomplish um, with respect to, to that epidemic gives me great hope and makes me think, boy, if we were able to accomplish that with a really diabolical virus, why can't we do that with this? It's just the, the time period is what matters, you know, and, and there've been, what is it? 10, it's 8,000 people that have died in a very, very short period of time, but we're talking 15, 30 million people have died from HIV globally since the beginning of the epidemic. So we need to get on it. We need that to dawdle, but I feel privileged to have lived through that because that gives me a foundation mm -hmm. of hope to stand on that, that if you haven't lived through that, maybe you're less able to, I don't know. Bravo, Don. I, I was going to um, ask whether it was possible uh, to ask Nick Guler um, to <laughs> add your comments. The to invisible this. Nick. We usually stay in the background and maybe we hear you laughing when we tell a bad joke. But I, I think I would love to hear your your input on this too, Nick. Can you uh, do you have a mic that you can you can activate? Yeah, I. Um... I'm not sure what I would say that you all haven't said already. It's it's obviously kind of a scary thing. And I, too, feel like, uh, you know, just in a week, in this last week, things have changed pretty drastically in terms of how I'm thinking about it. Um, but um, I'm also just feeling very uh, fortunate that I have you know, the privilege to work from home. Um, I have family that is close by and um, just am able to, uh, you know, have, have an outlook on this that isn't, you know, keeping me in bed or, you know, thinking mm -hmm. that, that this is, you know, the end of things or, or you know, something, uh, something really bad like that. Great, great, great points. And I think for many of our listeners, that will be the first time anyone's anyone's heard your voice. So thanks for for adding that, Nick. Um, Laura, any any last thoughts from you? No, I don't think so. But um, I want to thank you guys for letting me uh, be a guest on the on the show today. And I'm really looking forward to uh, joining when we do our next journal club. Terrific, Jen. What about you? Any 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 closing words? No, I don't, I don't think so. But um, yeah, just 
stay healthy. All right. Well, to all our listeners, uh, we appreciate you letting us uh, have a, a special edition. It just seemed, given all that's going on, it would feel wrong to ignore it. But also, as we mentioned, we didn't want to get too much into the science at this point because we don't think that's really our, our role right at this time. But we will be back uh, in two weeks with another episode where we will uh, get back to our usual scheduled programming. So thanks for tuning in. And as always, we hope you'll download. Go wash your hands. And yeah. go wash your hands. Hey, <laughs> virtual elbow bumps all. Virtual elbow bumps. <laughs> that's right. Very safe. No, wait a second. There's one thing on that. If you are told to cough into your elbow, left, left is, you it, right. is it wise for you to do elbow bumps? Uh, you got to pick. So you have to pick. You have to pick which elbow is your sneezing elbow. Oh, all right. Which elbow? Here we go. Yeah. By the way, I, PSA for the audience. Well, while we're on the subject, <laughs> it is worth noting that I have learned that obviously you should sneeze into your 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 elbow, but it can be pretty gross actually to sneeze into your elbow. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. I just, my elbows, I am using my elbows for all kinds of things that I didn't before, like every light switch, yeah. doorknob, walk sign. Yeah. I don't really want to be bumping anyone with those dirty you elbows know, and anymore. And you can't, you know you can't what touch we should your do face with should, your elbow either. We should go full on Harry Potter and everybody should use a magic wand to sort of like touch things. What else? <laughs> What a great idea. What a great idea. I think there's going to there's gonna be a run on magic wands. That's the way it should be. Well, Take care, everybody. With that, thanks for tuning in and stay safe, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.